Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to TV Party. I'm Clint Worthington, and uh, welcome to the after party. And it's an after party of one this time around. I am in the studio by myself, just whipping up just a little audio framework for this very special after party. As you may have heard, our previous episode of TV Party was the inaugural installment of our brand new segment, You Get Hoins, where we talk about particularly ambitious or excellent episodes of television. And we had to start with the episode that gave the segment its namesake, the second season finale of The West Wing to Cathedrals. Now, if you heard that episode, you may have also listened to a little snippet of an interview that Allison and I conducted with none other than Kirsten Nelson, who was a guest performer on that episode. She played young Mrs. Landingham. It was a beautiful interview. She had so many wonderful things to say that we didn't want to restrict it to just that little snippet, because also even in that that episode, we had a lot to talk about so it ran a little long but we wanted to make sure that you got to hear the whole thing and all of Kirsten's wonderful insights about her time filming that episode to the impact she thinks that episode and the West Wing in general has on TV and especially our modern perception of politics we're just going to show you the interview in full Um, we hope you enjoy the wonderful luminous Kirsten Nelson Hi, Allison here. Clint and I are speaking with Kirsten Nelson, who plays young Dolores Landingham in Two Cathedrals, arguably one, if not the best episode of The West Wing, one of the best episodes of The West Wing, and thus one of the best TV episodes of all time. Thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Clint is also a big psych fan, so I just want to make sure that that he has a chance to get that out of his system. Just shake it out. Shake it out. Clint. Oh, yeah. no, no. It, it, it was great. You're great. Um, <laughs> it was funny because when I found out we were getting this interview, I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And then I looked back through the psych cast list and like, oh, <laughs> yes, it's really good to have you here. Well, well, thank you. for Again, thank you for having me. They're a little different characters, but not too much. Um, a little bit. <laughs> time periods. That's it. That's just it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the casting for the show? Like, how did you get uh, on this episode? When the casting call went out, it's actually a funny story. I didn't know a casting call was going out, obviously, but I was in Hollywood actually going to a comedy club with my husband. And when we were going into the club, I saw Kathy Joostin coming out. Now, Kathy Joostin was the original Mrs. Lanningham. And she and I had worked together on a sitcom, and this is a multi-camera, you know, live audience sitcom called Thanks, which was about pilgrims about a year before. And because that's obviously funny when you think of what should we do a sitcom about pilgrims. Um, So we were doing this show and we had worked together. And as we were starting to wrap up, Thanks, which was, I think, about 98, 99, uh, she had said that she had got this show. And uh, she had to leave our show because she was going to go be a series regular on this other show. And that other show just happened to be The West Wing. Um, And we didn't keep in contact or anything like that, but I happened to run into her. She was leaving the comedy club. Hi, how's it going? Oh, my gosh, I love your show. It's really wonderful. Um, and this was about a year or so later. Uh, and she said, I'm so happy I've run into you. Uh, they're looking for someone to play the younger me. (laughs) 
And I, uh, I said, oh, oh, that's great. That's, you know, that's fantastic. That you should submit your name. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I guess I'll have my agents do that. And I contacted my agents the next day. And, uh, I said, I ran into Kathy. She said that, you know, maybe you should submit me. She thinks I'm a, you know, an okay choice to go play the younger version of her. And they said, there's nothing on the breakdown that says anything about this character. We don't even know what they're doing. It just says, looking for someone to play the young Miss Lanningham. And they left it at that. Breakdowns didn't have any description about what was going to be happening. Breakdowns didn't have any clue about what the storylines were going to be. They just wanted to keep it that hush-hush. So I went in, and um, as it got closer to the casting session, they sent over um, a CD. That's what they used to do then. They'd sent over a CD of Kathy reading all of, you know, eventually my future lines. And part of the casting session was wanting to hear whether or not the actress could capture her. Uh, they really did love Kathy over there, and they wanted to hear her voice, not in just the performance, but hear her style, her lilt, her flat A's, ultimately from Chicago. Um, so that was the casting session. Um, and read for Tommy Schlamy. I don't remember if Aaron was in the room. I don't know if I met Aaron until we were in Delaware because we were shooting all of this stuff uh, in, in and around DC for this, this major episode. Um, I might've just met him there and completely enthralled. I was a huge fan of the show even before I got the part. So it was, it was a wonderful moment. So you obviously knew Catherine Houston in advance. Were you aware that you had this like uncanny impression in your back pocket? <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> but thank you. Um, <laughs> I think it's being from Chicago. We're both from Chicago and um, anyone who's from Chicago, were able to do this flat A. You're just able to do it. Uh, it's, um, we're based in Chicago, so yeah, believe so me, we're we very familiar with the flat A. And <laughs> it was something that I had struggled to get rid of. And now they're saying, oh no, it's Kathy, it's what she does. Um, I was joking with my kids about that flat A, because uh, every now and then I'll just do that silly little, you know, um, caricature of sh being from Chicago. And they, um, my kids say, mom, you're just, uh, nobody sounds like that. And then I took them back home <laughs> Yeah, and we they do. just, I know they looked at me like, Oh, I thought you were kidding. And I was talking with family members, you know, this was like a family reunion and my kids are looking at me like this exists. I'm like, I know, see, and they're not joking. <laughs> um, but I, thank you. I really just wanted to be Mrs. Lanningham. I wanted to be Kathy um, because it was such a wonderful send off that they were giving her. And she was so beloved on the show as a, as an actress, as a woman, and as this iconic character to the president that um, I really wanted to capture her. 
Uh, so was that your primary concern in terms of not not replicating the performance, but sort of paying homage to it? And were there moments where you wanted to put a spin on it or just sort of give something your own? Or I think I didn't necessarily want to bring something of my own to it. She was younger, right? So um, at that time, she had the confidence that we soon saw in her when she was in the Oval Office, but that confidence was beginning to form and getting a, um, a movement, a passion to get behind as wanting to get the same pay for women in this, um, um, in that episode, uh, and getting this young future president to see her reasoning. Those were the kind of seeds I think that maybe I could bring of this woman who was going to be such a, gentle convincer to the future president. Um, even though she was very stern in her, you're going to see my way and you're going to understand this and we're going to move on. Um, that, uh, that younger woman becoming that confident older woman. That's really only what I wanted to bring to it, but Kathy had it there. So it was really just paying homage to her and making sure I could do her justice because um, I loved her so. I want to ask about that um, speech, the sort of big moment in the episode. It's one of three sort of major emotional climaxes, that being the first, the second being the big speech to God. I guess four, because then he also has that really wonderful scene with um, Mrs. Landingham in the office and then obviously the conclusion of the episode. Um, I think it's such a gorgeous piece of writing and it is odd to play a moment that's obviously formative for another character. It's you can trace everything that Jed Bartlett does and the choices he makes back to this moment and we don't see it until the end of season two. How did you go about preparing that scene and um and what was your reaction when you first read it everything was very close to the best they really did not want anything to leak about this episode thank goodness it was before you know social media and all of the um the internet um you know leaks that we would have even now uh that no one wanted this storyline to get out. So when I read it, um, first of all, I was shocked that they had killed her, <laughs> that they had killed Miss Lanningham. Um, but reading what they had done and reading how they had laid the pieces, almost like this Bible, to where this man became, um, where he was going to be at the end of this episode, making that decision to run, to put his hands in his pocket and smile. Um, it gave me chills. And that struggle of not knowing what to do and wanting somebody to give you the answer, even from an external source so that you can find it within yourself to have the confidence to make a big decision and it doesn't have to be, am I going to run for president? And maybe it's just something, you know, a life decision of, do I take the, this road or do I take that road? That 
and that Jeb had to go to God to struggle and yell at him. And you just sometimes need to sound it out like a sounding board. Um, he had all these other influences in his life and that he had to go rail in a church at someone who, if we, you know, if we say that God is a someone, he rails at someone who he loves and who he challenges and challenges him in order to find that answer. And that was, um, so powerful, you know, reading this stuff, even on an airplane, you know, going to set because they had to fly us. I live in LA, fly us from LA to DC, um, to be at the national cathedral. It was wonderful. And it was chilling. And personally, um, my dad, uh, is a pastor. So I grew up surrounded by this stuff. Um, and it was like, I knew that guy, I knew what he was going through, what that struggle was. And, uh, what Mrs. Lanningham could offer him was just, I'll wait, you'll figure this out. Um, so it was that quiet contemplation, but I think he needed to have a strong backbone. God, uh, well, I got chills just listening to you talk about <laughs> Same that. here. <laughs> how much, when you were filming, how, obviously you read the script and so you knew what was going on, but was there a sense as you were making it that this was going to be this really significant hour of television? Did you have any sense that like people would be asking you about it, you know, 15 years, <laughs> however long down the line? Yeah. Um, no. Uh, in the sense of, I thought it was really wonderful and I thought it was really powerful that I think it would be this iconic moment in this really great show. I, I guess you kind of hope it does, but, um, it was funny. We did all of our stuff in one day, uh, all of the Mrs. Lanningham and the young Jeb, uh, scenes, we did it all in one day, and Aaron Sorkin was there. He was on set with us, and Tommy Schlamy was um, directing this episode. And I remember him. It was on a, it was on the slope going down, and there was, I think it was the boat scene. So the young president, young Jeb, was washing down a boat, and I remember, just you know, we were waiting for the cameras to set up, and I looked at. Aaron lounging, I think he had, he might've had a blanket. He's lounging on a blanket on this grassy slope, just waiting, just kind of looking at us. And he kind of comes up to me and he's like, um, okay, the success of this episode rests on you. Good luck. And he walks away and he lounges again. And I'm like, I'm terrified because, you know, you're surrounded by, I'm like, you have really big actors in this show. Why is it resting on my shoulders? Um, it's like, let Martin do it. Marty can do it. Uh, and I think maybe they had hoped, you know, they had their second season. They had their, they knew they were going into a third season. It was making waves. It was important. But it's interesting now of what that voice, looking back on it, maybe what we needed, we didn't know we needed it. We didn't know we needed this show to speak to us on this passionate level. I'm happy that it still has longevity. I'm so happy that it um, is finding renewed relevance 
really, really, truly. Yeah, very true. Um, one of the other interesting things about especially your flashback scenes is you have a scene with uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, who uh, is a producer on the show. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, what, what was that like? I only knew him as a consulting producer on the show at that time. I didn't realize, uh, no, I, and I knew he was a speechwriter. Um, was it for Clinton? I forget, um, but he was, he had worked in the Clinton White House. Um, now, you know, I'm following him on MSNBC or like, you, you know, I see him tweeting out stuff. I'm like, oh, that's Lawrence O'Donnell. I was with him. I have a picture with him. I'm so cool. Um, so he was very quiet, uh, very understated because he didn't see himself as an actor. Um, they kind of shoved this part onto him and they said, um, I think it went that he read it in a um, at the table read. They weren't sure who was going to have the part of Jeb's father, and it was going to be this, you know, it had to be this imposing man of who had the strength to slap his son, and that I mean, which is just horrible as this headmaster of this school. And Lawrence read it, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, okay, you'll do it." And Lawrence O'Donnell's like, what? You, what? No, I'm, I'm reading it here at the table. And they're like, nah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, lovely man. Just really wanted to, again, be a part of this episode, make it right and make it solid. Mm-hmm. He was cool. Oh, great. Um, so also your scene partner, uh, the, the boy who played uh, young Jeb, uh, what was it like working with him? Were you both sort of cognizant of the other performances you had to honor? Jason didn't watch it as much as I did. We watched it, you know, week. And it was funny. At one point they said, okay, Jason, go put your jacket on as Jeb. Like Jeb will go grab his jacket and put it on. And he grabbed his jacket off a chair and it's such a little thing. Jason grabbed the jacket off the chair and he stuck it on and said, no, 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 no. Jason, Jeb doesn't put his jacket on like that. He puts his hands across into the sleeves and then up and over his head. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, you have to get this. You have to get this because it's such one of those funny things of why does the president put a sport coat on over his head? And if you go back and you watch him, you know, you can see Martin Sheen put his arms into the opposite, uh, into the opposite sleeves and he pulls it up over his head and it's like magic. Suddenly he's wearing a sport coat. And it's one of the most miraculous cuts in the episode too, when it cuts back to young Jeb putting, putting finishing it on. putting on the jacket. Right. Right. Um, yeah. and he, uh, I think being in DC when we were staying there, that's when it kind of hit him. This is, this is something bigger. Because now he was seeing, I'm, and I'm in the Capitol. The White House is right there. This is presidential. And he realized, I'm playing a future president. I'm playing this young man. Um, not just Martin Sheen. He got to play a young Martin Sheen. And there's not a lot of people that get to play a young Marty, which is amazing. Very true. Yeah. Um, but I remember he and I, Jason and I, having dinner after we wrapped our day. It was a very long day because we had to do it all in one day. Um, and we were still both buzzing and we were still both wide-eyed and probably running on adrenaline because we'd been up since like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, we were running on adrenaline. The cherry blossoms were blowing 
in DC. I mean, it was just perfect. And he's like, let's call Tommy and see if he wants Tommy Schwami, the director, let's see if he wants to have dinner because maybe he'll bring Martin Sheen. And I was like, oh, no, Jason, we can't level jump like that. We are, we are just, we're just little guest stars. We can't go and, <laughs> and meet with these big series regulars. And he was like, why not? Let's do it. We didn't, but, um, it was, <laughs> we were too nervous in the end, but, um, but then we did run into John Spencer, um, and Stockard Channing the next day. Uh, but he, you know, he was excited. I don't know, but I don't know why either one of us really thought about what this episode was going to be until probably it aired, and then 12 hours later when we started getting phone calls. You know, like the next business day, like, oh my God, what was that? What was that next business day like? Was it, um, I'm assuming, I, I mean, I was watching when it aired, but obviously was like focused on the story and not the cultural moment that happened around it. Um, but I'm just curious what that was like days and weeks after what that was like. From shooting to turnaround to it airing is usually between um, about, it's about three and a half weeks if you're on a normal schedule. So we shot it um, and then we went home and we were sworn to secrecy about what the um, about what the episode was going to be about, and I didn't tell my parents. I didn't. T- I didn't even tell my husband about what they were going to do to Mrs. Lanningham. I just said, "Yeah, I just get to play the young Mrs. Lanningham," and um, you know, they're just going to say like how people met. It's another episode of how people met. And it wasn't until the week before uh, two cathedrals aired when they killed. Mrs. Lanningham in the car crash. And then I had people calling me there. You know, as soon as that episode ended, people, my friends start calling me going, Oh my God, they killed her. What is your episode about? I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. I can't tell you. (laughs) Um, And it was, uh, and it was fun to still have secrets like that when it came to a show. So then when the next week, when it aired and people just let that kind of wash over them, you know, stomping out his cigarette in the middle of National Cathedral. And then, you know, Martin Sheen coming in soaking wet to say, oh, we don't see him say it, but um, we get the watch this. As it ends, when he makes his decision to run again, that um, I didn't get any calls that night. It was almost like people needed to let it sink in. And then... um, I think Aaron sent me, Aaron Sorkin sent me a, uh, a gig- one of the biggest fruit baskets I've ever seen. It was so much. And I, I, I don't think I ever want to tell him that some of the fruit may have gone bad. I mean, it was like, it's like, it's spoiled. It was just, you couldn't eat that much fruit at any one given time. Um, with just a simple note of thank you. You made last night, you know, work. Um, and then calls started coming in going, oh, we have to meet her. Oh, you know. Kirsten needs to come in for this and for this and for this. And right about then is when my agents told these people who wanted to meet me that I was about five months pregnant. And they said, yeah, she's not going to be working a whole lot over the next few months. So it was a bummer on that way because um, 
I was cooking a baby at the time uh, and that we kept trying to cover it up when I was shooting uh, our, our, my little episode. But um, knowing that it had impacted so many people and not just friends, but industry-wide, they're like, that writing was amazing. That acting was amazing. And it was, oh, maybe we were part of something cool. Yeah. What was it? Did it feel interesting to have that much acclaim for this one-off guest performance? I mean, I, I obviously it was a bit of a surprise to you, but have you encountered that kind of um, recognition since? Is this still something you're recognized for? Yeah, it's and it's weird. I don't think I'll ever have a guest star spot like that, you know, ever again. Um, even uh, even having a um, even being a series regular on another TV show for eight seasons. And um, there was something about that moment in time. Um, I think it would be, well, no, I can't even compare that because that's like a recurring. I, I don't know if I'd, either one of you watched Jessica Jones. Um, oh, absolutely. Net, I think we've Netflix. done episodes on that. Yeah. Have you? Because this whole season with Janet McTeer playing um jessica's mom that it's like one of those those are going to be episodes people remember or those one-off characters um i'm not really sure if i can think of another tv show that you think that one guest star is going to be known for that one guest star thing i mean i'm sure there's got to be some out there but i've never seen it since then Totally. I think that maybe that's an idea for a future segment, Allison. We're trying to find those like single guest performances that really stand out. I mean, we've already peaked. Like, I'm not sure that <laughs> it's true. Out. I mean, I guess it honestly, it is all downhill from here, um, but it would be an interesting investigation. Um, yeah, you guys should do a whole thing on that. I'm like, hmm, put it in some puzzle pieces together. See if, you, see if it's even a viable thing. Totally. <laughs> Can you find more than two? Absolutely. Um, so looking back on the episode now, um, what do you think makes Two Cathedrals so indelible? Like, why do you think we're talking about it even now? That's the president. Um, I think we had a president who was challenged and it was things that we didn't talk about. Um, the, that upbringing that indecisiveness, and then finally a resolved conviction. Um, and the writing, the writing that Aaron um, hammered out. I mean, when Aaron Sorkin's hands were all over so many of those episodes, truly, not just the show running of it, but writing these episodes, um, that kind of intelligent writing in television uh, is few and far between. And it was few and far between back then. But those big dramas that let scenes go on. And the West Wing, at that point, we would still have, you needed to have the next morning water cooler moments. You couldn't get on, you couldn't live tweet your um, your viewing experience. You couldn't get on social media the next day and say how you felt or pull a vulture or, you know, an io9 of telling you what you thought about it. Um, that it was a moment that everybody could share and then let it sink in because they knew they had to go into work the next day and, oh my God, talk about it. Um, why it's coming back around now, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's some theories about 
we loved watching and learning about that White House. That was one of those White House shows, and it was a kind of a first of its kind. You know, you have Madam Secretary now, and you had House of Cards now. Um, but the West Wing gave us a look inside of how government works and how it's supposed to work, even with all of its faults and foibles, but how people are supposed to work together. I mean, if we think about it, that show, even at the end of that show, when you have a Democrat running with a Republican running mate, I, that sounds so foreign that that could even be a remote possibility with the divisiveness going on right now. And it's beautiful to think that that could still happen. And so I think people are going back and rediscovering the West Wing and then realizing exactly how good this two cathedrals one is um, because we see a president conflicted between his country and his family and himself, his health and his God. Um, and what do you do about that? So it's a wonderful rediscovery of it now. Maybe it's Camelot. You know, maybe we're looking back at it with rose-colored glasses, but I think it still holds up wonderfully. Well, I do too. <laughs> and I can't yeah. even imagine what it must be like to have this show that you really like to watch and then to have your relation to it relationship to it changed in this fundamental way where it's one of the great dramas of that era certainly but really just in the history of tv and you got to play this really fundamental part in it so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about it i feel like i have a new like <laughs> i have a new relationship to the episode now oh, totally. yeah, same year. <laughs> yay <laughs> It was fun. It was it was wonderful. It really was. And so many people were just top notch, A plus people on the show. Because I've done shows which you are a fan of, and then you get to go do a guest star on it. And as you leave, you're no longer a fan of the show because you're like, this isn't this isn't a fun place to be. That was a wonderful place to be. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Uh, this was really really a pleasure. Uh, so thank you so much. Absolutely, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll agree that that was a fantastic interview. I'm really glad we got to share that with everybody. Uh, and that wraps it up for this episode of After Party. You can find us on Twitter at TVPartyCOS and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TVPartyPod. Please like us and subscribe to us there. We promise we'll offer you some good content. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at AlkaHollywood. And you can find me as the co-host of the podcasts AlkaHollywood, which you can find at AlkaHollywood.com, and Nathan Rabin's Happy Cast, which you can find at NathanRabin.com. You can find Allison on Twitter at Allison Shoe, and you can find her on the podcasts Podlander Drunkcast and Outlander Podcast and Debating Doctor Who. If there's a question you'd like us to answer, you can reach out to us at TVParty at ConsequenceOfSound.net leave us a review on itunes Podchaser, whatever your podcast platform may be tv party is a production of the consequence podcast network check out our expanding roster of music film and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net this show is recorded and produced in chicago illinois and recorded slash engineered by moi clint worthington thanks to kirsten nelson for being so gracious with her time and talking with us and giving us this wonderful insights about the west wing thanks to allison for hooking all this up uh, and just being an awesome co-host we'll see you in a few days for another proper tv party bye
Consequence Podcast Network.